Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. In today's programme, we're talking property. I'm sitting in, in the piazza in the middle of Covent Garden and uh, sitting with me is Jeremy McGiven. Jeremy runs Mercury Home Search, which is a, an, ag- an agency which specialises in finding uh, prime properties for bespoke clients in, in prime central London. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Great to be here, Dominic. And uh, let, let's start with prime central London, the, the, the market that never goes down. Uh, it's, uh, the rest of the housing market has declined over the last three years by maybe 20%, but uh, London is higher. Well, you, you offered various reasons for that in your, in your latest newsletter, Jeremy. Why, why don't you outline a couple of them? Well, first of all, I would say that uh, no investment is bulletproof, and anybody who says the prime London market only ever goes up doesn't really know what they're talking about. We saw that in 2008, but uh, it has bounced back much more quickly than uh, Sunny I'd anticipated. And the reason for that predominantly is um, sterling weakness, which has meant that uh, the majority of properties above a million are now bought by overseas buyers. And uh, above a million, it's probably... 55 to 60% and the higher up the price brackets you go and let's say over 5 million you're looking at um, Hamptons reckon 72% I've seen figures as high as 80% overseas buyers 80% of overseas buyers buying up the 5 million pounds in uh, plus homes in Knightsbridge um, Mayfair Belgravia I mean that's an incredible statistic uh, why why are they buying? Um, they're buying for a number of reasons I mean Foremost, it, you know, they're getting quality properties on the cheap. Well, when I say on the cheap, that's obviously very expensive, but uh, they're getting sort of 20% discounts if you're in Swiss francs. I mean, the discount's huge compared to what you would have had to pay in 2007 when sterling was obviously much stronger. Then there are other reasons. I mean, London's obviously a fantastic city, so people want to live here. Also, a lot of people have business interests here, so um, it makes sense to have somewhere in London, especially if you're Indian, Chinese, etc. It's obviously easy to get to other places on the planet with as gas as we think Gatwick and Heathrow are. They're actually quite useful. And, um, you know, for some people, it's literally a question of diversifying their risk, not just um, in terms of assets, but also geopolitical risk. Uh, so, for example, if you're Indian, you may be concerned about being sandwiched between Pakistan and China. If you're Russian, you may just want your money out of Russia. Um, and, yeah. Arab? Um, well, the Middle Easterners have been buying here since the 70s. So, yeah, there's certainly been... A bit more activity because of the troubles in Middle East and North Africa, but I don't think it's been quite as explosive as being made out in the press. Um, there have always been a number of Middle Eastern buyers, and that's unlikely to change. Um, that's interesting that you say that. And now, you said uh, Indians concerned that about being sandwiched between Pakistan and China. Presumably you've had a buyer who has these concerns. Um, I have a number of Indian clients. None of them themselves have said that but certainly their advisors um, have said that that's a potential concern I mean it's not, they don't think there's going to be a war immediately but it just makes sense to diversify their risks and obviously there's that historical connection between um, England and India 
um, and London's a very attractive city for them. Do you think um, there's a bit of kind of reverse colonialism going on where Indians like the idea of, of owning central London? There may be some of that, but then you know, that's no different to UK buyers wanting somewhere in you know, Tuscany, the south of France, you know, south of Spain. So it's, you know, if you've got the money, you can afford it, you buy what you want. Yeah. Um, now, Jeremy, what's going to happen next in the London property market? Is it going to go the way the rest of the, the, the same way as the rest of Britain, or, or is it just a different animal? It is a different animal, but as I said earlier, it's by no means bulletproof. I think, it, you know, as it's already proven, it's going to be far more resilient. Uh, the, the fact is there are far more cash buyers and people with much more equity in their properties than you would have elsewhere. Um, and therefore, should there be a huge rise in interest rates, for example, there will be X number of people who will be forced sellers, you know, should interest rates rise dramatically. But there'll be far fewer, and say that you'll see prices drop at the margins, but a lot of people just will sit tight. Um, In other words, that that won't affect your prime central London buyers? Well, I would have thought reduce the number of buyers if interest rates go up. Sterling could well strengthen, which in itself would bring um, prices down in sterling terms. Um, But there is far more, um, there's a far bigger buffer for most London property owners, um, especially the higher up you go, because they're not reliant on jobs, on interest rates, because they're cash buyers. Um, I think if we see massive unemployment, rise in employment, the banks are already laying off people, but if that takes off, then I think a lot of buy-to-let investors could get hurt. Um, and, uh, you know, one can never rule out the government doing something exceptionally stupid and therefore making it very unattractive to overseas buyers. Um, or indeed overseas companies to operate out of London. Um, I don't think that will happen, but it's you know it's a risk. Um, for every buyer, there has to be a seller. Who is selling these uh, top end properties, and why? Um, well, the the obvious reasons, um, you know, unfortunately, deaths, uh, people who uh, properties aren't big enough. So you know, people think, well, five million that gets you a lot, but actually, in Prime Central London, you can, you know, there are flats of only 1,500 square feet for that price, uh, which become too small so people sell those and trade up. Um, then a lot of properties are just surplus to requirements. I, I remember looking around last year, a flat that was worth, I think it was worth about £12 million, pounds, and the owners forgot they had it. <laughs> and, um, and they said, right, okay, well, let's, let's sell this. They weren't renting it, and they literally forgot they had it. Unbelievable. And, uh, okay, now um, let's uh, discuss uh, one of the most discussed uh, buildings, which is, I'm going to give the wrong address now, One Hyde Park. Yeah, it is One Hyde Park. Um, That's uh, attracted a lot of uh, controversy, negative publicity. Uh, What's your take on on the whole thing? Well, One Hyde Park, uh, I think it's been very successful for the investors and the Candy Brothers. Uh, The negative press... I mean, there's always a lot of negative press about the Candy Brothers. Uh, my view is, and I, I have absolutely no affiliation with them whatsoever, um, is that if you want a, if you want a 10,000 square foot flat on one floor, then that is really the only place you're going to get it in prime central London. If you also require concierge, off-street parking, uh, and all the other security and facilities they have there. Um, but what you've got to remember is when they built that, and they bought it incredibly well, and the old Bowles house was disgustingly ugly, um, was that they were 
making a product, building a product for a specific market, which has said, yes, we like this. And they've, you know, they, I mean, they haven't sold all of it, but they've sold a large percentage and are already making money on it because they bought so well in the first place. I guess it's this, the syndrome that people don't buy Ferraris for the fuel economy. Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, you don't buy a super yacht because you're worried about the fuel or the fact that it's losing money by the second. Um, so what is going to send London house prices lower? Uh, a stronger sterling? Anything else? A stupid governmental ruling? Uh, and can you see anything else that could send it lower? Uh, well... Certainly, if interest rates started shooting up, then you know there, there are people at the margin. Certainly, the lower down you get, so below two million, I think that would have a serious effect on people. Also, you know, rising unemployment. London has been pretty much insulated from the problems that we've seen so far. I mean, obviously there were the riots, but a lot of those. Well, the initial riot was due to um, obviously that poor person being shot um, or killed by the police, and then there were the sort of copycat riots, which shows that there's some. December, but actually, for for a lot of people in London, they've still got jobs, um, and this is in the housing market, um, and so they are fairly secure because the businesses have international clients. I would, I, I dare say, that most people looting are not potential buyers coming into the market. You never know, but you're probably right. But the um, the you know, should unemployment creep up in the city? or you know, law firms having to lay people off, etc., then you know, people who are reliant on their jobs to pay off their mortgages will get hurt. And then also the people who are renting, who will then struggle to pay their rent, that could have an effect. Again, whether that will happen imminently, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me if that plays out at some stage. Are you bullish? Are you bearish? Central London specifically. We'll come to the rest of the country in a moment. I am... I think it's going to remain fairly stable. Um, I mean, having said that, predictions at the moment are pointless because you never know if the government's going to start pumping in money or you know, whether QET will have no... You know, if the Eurozone collapses, I mean, that, that's a big risk because they, Eurozone makes up the largest percentage of overseas buyers. So if we see an explosion there, then there could be real problems because uh, a lot of European buyers have been buying probably in London, again, just to get out of the euro. Um, so should sterling strength against the euro because the eurozone's collapsed that that could be a serious issue um now let's uh, talk about you yourself if you don't mind i know uh you sold your property back in 2006 2007 2006, yeah 2006 talk us through that decision and what you did uh well i thought the market was already getting overheated i mean i thought the market was actually gonna blow up in 2008 but you can never tell and i didn't want to try to be too clever and in many ways maybe i was trying to be too clever i also had other personal reasons for selling up um sort of met the lady of my dreams who's now my wife and uh she had a place and also i was just getting bored with my flat so i thought i'd sell up um also the for me i have to hedge myself against the property market because otherwise i've got 99 percent of my wealth with the company and obviously my property in the market, whereas now I bought gold as it happens as my asset instead of property. And so you, you, you closely follow the, the, the relationship between gold and house prices? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, which, is, you know, this is, which is how we met. Um, now, uh, let's, wh- where, do you see, where do you see the rest of the housing market going and also the London property market? First, let's talk about it in gold terms. Well... In gold terms, and gold is obviously more your area of expertise than mine, but I mean, I certainly buy into the whole gold um, proposition that it's going to go higher. 
as governments continue to print cash and as more and more people realise that you know, the way to get out of debt is not to take on more debt and that governments do not have an endless supply of cash because ultimately they don't generate any. Um, your or my taxes do. Um, so I can see that getting worse. I, you know, there's going to be continued instability in the planet. That's not going to clear up overnight. Um, so you know, I would expect gold to strengthen. Property may continue to go up, but gold will go up more quickly. Gold will do better than property, in other words. I would have thought so, yeah. Um, what about... Because actually, uh, central London has, in the last year or two, amazingly, according to the, the, those graphs that we looked at, outperformed gold. Yeah. And I think uh, it'd be quite interesting to see how you know, works of art have performed against gold, diamonds, etc. There's just been a, this huge movement from out of cash and shares and, you know, to a degree, bonds into tangible assets where people can say, well, look, if everything blows up, at least I can say I've got this and, uh, you know, they can use that. I mean, you know, comparing the situation to Weimar Germany is <laughs> overstretching a bit at the moment, but uh, there's probably the beginnings of that sort of mentality. Um, let's talk about the rest of the country. Are you bullish about property or not? Uh, absolutely not. I would say that I'm not a specialist in properties outside of prime central London, but if you look at all the things that have kept London afloat and, you know, ploughing on ahead, they just don't apply to the rest of the country. The odd grand estate, yes, which is, um, I mean, I hate the term, but trophy asset for a Russian or whatever, that, um, that market is still reasonably strong. But uh, if you look at the rest of the market, it's, it's, it's really struggling. And that is due to the fact that, especially the further north you go, that, you know, people are worried about their jobs. It is harder to get mortgage financing, and you know, there is more supply than demand. You um, list on your website the seven common mistakes that London in, uh, property investors make. What, why don't you tell us what those mistakes are? Well, yeah, the seven most expensive mistakes. Uh, that I mean, the most basic one that people can rectify is actually just preparation. And you know, it sounds boring, and it is, which is probably why most people don't do it. But um, a lot of people don't put themselves in a position to be a good buyer so they haven't chosen a solicitor they haven't got their financing in place they haven't really thought about exactly what they want so a lot of people waste a lot of time um, sorting out what they want but also when they find the ideal property what often happens is they can't move quickly enough and somebody else buys it or because they can't move quickly they can't negotiate the best price so and if you're an overseas buyer you need to have thought about setting up a company for tax reasons etc and if that's not done then the chances are somebody else is going to be able to buy it at a better price and on numerous occasions we've been able to acquire properties for clients despite the fact our bid wasn't the highest purely because we were in a better position to move okay so that's one yeah. <laughs> give us a couple more a couple more um relying on estate agents again it sounds obvious but you know people do they forget that the estate agent is legally obliged to get the highest price possible for the seller and the problem is, is that people will phone up an estate agent, register, say, look, I've got £4 million to buy a three-bedroom flat or whatever it is. And the agent will go, great. And then they expect the agent to call them. Well, the problem is that the agent has got probably 100 other buyers looking for that. And you need to, A, remain in constant contact, but you also have to um, ensure they know you're a good buyer. Relying on the websites is hopeless. Uh, there's an estate agent near here in Mayfair that openly admits that 30% of their properties never reach the open market so if you're just looking at the websites that doesn't work either um, and 
again, the estate agents, and people get very annoyed that the agents show them properties that don't fit their criteria. The agent's job is to sell one of their clients' properties to you, not to find you your ideal home. Any others? Um, well, the obvious one is that a lot of people overpay because the problem with the property market is that it is incredibly opaque. It's not as if you can go on um, IG Index or whatever you want to use to find out a share price or the price of gold. Um, you know, the land registry has sold property prices, but you don't know how big the property was, the length of the lease, the condition of the property, the aspects, etc. Um, and so people, a lot of people compare apples with pears. So they see that another house in the street is sold for, let's say, again, $5 million, um, And they think, oh, this one's on for 3.75. This looks like a steal. And in fact, they could be paying a massive premium because it's on a short lease or you know, it's in poor condition or you know, there could be a tube line running underneath it. So what do you do about that? Um, well, you need to do uh, an awful lot of groundwork, uh, speak to other agents in the area, ask them to give you details of historic properties that have sold recently in the area so that you can build up a better picture what is available. Although you can't necessarily go and see the houses, at least you've got the details, the floor plans, you tell the condition, you can start comparing like, like, like with like. I mean, we have a database of, I mean, tens of thousands of properties, and obviously we look at uh, you know, hundreds of properties a week, so it's slightly easier for us. What's the uh, best part of London to buy in now, would you say? Or central London? Where, where do you find the best value? Uh, the best value, I mean, it's very, very tricky. I mean, some would say, look, just stick to Belgravia, Mayfair or Knightsbridge because if you think the world's going to, uh, you know, explode, those are the areas that are going to offer you the most insurances and the, the properties will maintain their value because uh, if a property drops 50% in Eaton Square, I try to think what's going to happen to anywhere else. But um, if you're looking for an investment in Bayswater, there's a lot of money that's been injected there. There's the development called the Lancasters, but that's already... You know, quite a lot of that's been priced in. Pimlico is potentially interesting, but it's risky because I mean, it's literally the wrong side of the tracks. It doesn't have um, the cachet, but it is unbelievably central. You know, you're you know, five minute walk to Eaton Square, and you're paying almost a third of the price. So that's yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I look at Pimlico on a map, and every time I look at Pimlico on a map, I think you you, you know that's the that's the target area. But I don't know. I drive through Pimlico, and it doesn't do it for me. And the same from Liverpool, and that's why I say it's a risk. It's, uh, you know, a lot of money has been pumped into Victoria. Um, Land Securities are doing a lot there. So, you know, will it be dragged up? Who knows? But, you know, if you want a larger property but can't afford Chelsea, Belgravia, but you want to be in that location, that's really your only option unless you go out to Fulham and places like that. Do you like Chelsea? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it's, you know, again, there are certain, certain areas there which I think are overpriced especially for the, the style of the properties with some of the houses there are quite small but then you know it's a very for property it's a liquid market you can always sell those properties so that it's a good area um chelsea seems to me to have more local people living there it's not at night it's not the ghost town that knightsbridge and belgravia are, uh, both are yeah I mean, belgravia one has to remember is incredibly residential so there's no reason for people to really go there at night. Um, there's the old pub, but no, I mean, but I mean, that's what I mean. That the the residential streets, it, it, you, you know, the, the don't seem to be that many people actually living there. Well, that that's very true as well. And um, Chelsea's a bigger area; it's more densely populated. But there are more um, UK owners, but also overseas buyers who actually live in London rather than just using it as a holiday home for one or two weeks of the year. 
But again, yeah, it's just, that's really down to personal taste. When are you going to buy a house again, and why? Uh, when I get hit over the head by a frying pan from my wife. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, probably in the next year to 18 months, but that's not necessarily because I think it's a sensible trade. Okay, just because of your own domestic situation. Yeah, and one also has to remember that, you know, a, you know if you're buying a home, that is its primary role, and one shouldn't get too concerned about its investment purpose. I mean, the, the key to remember, and I say this to everybody, and I say it to people who have so much money they look at me as if I'm mad but the point I'm saying is that, that if you're buying somewhere especially now you have to be very sure that you can afford the mortgage payments if you've got mortgage payments or that you don't have to become that you won't become a full seller so you need a you know a, a safety net and the reason um, I say that is that if you look at our parents generation who lived through three of the worst crashes 72 19 2008 you know, the 18 year cycle because they didn't have huge leverage, they were at maximum three times their earnings. They just sat through it. And if you sit through a crash, it doesn't matter. If it's your home, who cares? It doesn't even matter if you're negative equity. As long as you can pay off the mortgages, it's pretty much irrelevant. But it's those people who've overstretched themselves who will get destroyed, literally. But if you time the market well and you overstretch yourself, you can make a lot of money. You can. Uh, I think that may be tricky now. But, you know, if we get into a sort of hyperinflationary situation and you're on a 10-year fixed at 3.99%, then you're laughing. I mean, I, I find these the mortgage rates at the moment extraordinary. My first mortgage was 12%. This is back in 96. And they made it up to 20 21% at one stage. Yeah, the rates are unbelievable. You, you mentioned the 18-year cycle uh, there. Um, you obviously follow Fred Harrison's work. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit your thoughts on that? Yeah, well... It, yeah, it's a very good book. It's called Boom and Bust um, by Fred Harrison, as you say. Uh, and he traced it back to uh, virtually the dissolution of the monasteries, I think it was, um, which was the first major land grab in the country. The, you know, it appears to come around every 18 years and, again, is tied to interest rates. Whether, whether that will be the case this time around... I'm I should just say that the, the idea of the 18-year cycle is that you have 14 years of boom and four years of bust. And this, this is a recurring cycle. Yeah. Um, but this is the first time in the UK we've seen quantitative easing on the scale that we've seen it. You know, we may get an, um, you know, QE2 in the UK, there may be QE3 in the States, and who knows how far this can run, um, which may skew those time frames. Um, listen, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Jeremy. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, why don't you give out, as we close, uh, your, your website address or ways that people can contact you uh, if they want to buy themselves a prime central London property? That's very kind. Um, well, the website is mercuryhomesearch.com. Uh, and if you go on there, you can also download the free report, The Seven Most Expensive Mistakes London Property Buyers Make and How to Avoid Them. And, uh, yeah, we're delighted to help if you require our services. And uh, they can sign up for your newsletter, which, by the way, is excellent. Yeah, they can do that too, um, just by signing up for the report. Okay, great stuff. And I, I, just to close, I mean, we've, we've both sat, it's Covent Garden, it's early September, we've both sat here shivering. Yeah. But, uh, Jeremy, thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. 
To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 